What is going on, everybody? It's your host of Recover Out Loud, Sean. And before you get into this episode, let's go ahead and hear from friends of the show. Enjoy. Hey, guys, this is your host of the Mental Health Movement podcast, Voice for the Voiceless Chris. I'm here to let you guys know of my podcast that is now on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. You can find me at Fellow Traveler MH on TikTok. You can find me at the Mental Health Movement Pod on Instagram. And on Facebook, you can find me at the Mental Health Movement. Hopefully, you guys can tune in, join the group, join the family, help us break the stigma in mental health. Much love to you guys and be gentle with yourselves. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Recover Out Loud, episode number 76. Today, we got a pretty awesome guest, Jared Blaine, all the way from Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. How you doing, Jared? Good, man. Good. Thank you for having me. Hey, man. Thanks for thanks for uh, for coming on, man. I was on Jared's show. Jared has a show. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, and he was like, hey, man, I want you as a guest. And we had some scheduling deconflictions, but you know what? Uh, we're here. We're doing a damn thing, and that's all that matters, right? right that's right, man. Absolutely. All right, Jared, would you like to give us a formal introduction of yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm Jared Blaine. I'm uh, 34 years old. Uh, I am five years in recovery. Um, I have a recovery-based uh, podcast, uh, and I just like to help others. I just want to reach out to others and just give them the same hope that I have. That's who I am. Absolutely, man. When's your birthday? January 24th. Ooh, I'm... I'm a little bit older than you, friend. <laughs> 1989. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my birthday's in like two weeks. I'm 35. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I feel old as shit, though. Like, I feel like I'm 80. Dude, my, my, me and my girlfriend were the same age, exact same age. I'm only four months older than her. Mm-hmm. And she and she says, I'm, I'm old, so it's all good. <laughs> my girlfriend is like two years younger than me, man. I feel, I feel like I'm dust right now. Oh, Lord. Especially like today, like I like I told you with my shoulder thing, dude. Like it was something so mundane, right? That like two, three years ago, it wouldn't have bothered me. And now I'm like, oh, geez, I'm one step in the grave. I'm you might as well just take me to a nursing home. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's like you don't even have to it's you just barely move your body one little way and you're just my knee pops out all the time. So that's just the way it is, man. Right. So so how's the weather up in Buffalo? So the last couple of days, it's been mid eighties, hot as hell. Uh, but we have the smoke coming from Canada. So we've been dealing with that right now. Um, and it's been hot. It's definitely been hot, but guess what? I'll take it because that's motorcycle riding weather. That means I can go out and just cruise and I enjoy it. Absolutely. And yeah. What about you, man? You know what? Uh, so we're getting smoke from Canada to down in Maryland, which is okay. weird. Because I, I would think I, I'm a state away from the border, right? At least, at least a state away with Pennsylvania right above us. Right. Uh, I 
I walked outside and, and the sky is, is smoky. You can smell the smoke in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely not enjoyable, but it's, it, so it rained on and off today, which is weird. Uh, and it's, it was hot. And then, and then the, the, the smoke showed up. We'll just say that the smoke rolled in. It hasn't been that hot, which is odd because like down here, it's, it gets pretty goddamn hot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, this is my first, so I've only been experiencing New York like the last year, but I've only moved, lived here since like February. So I've only got to experience one summer last year and, and one winter and, and, so I don't really know what to expect. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, where it's 120 degrees. So, yeah, you're used to the heat. Yeah, but I never get used. To, I'm used to the dry heat, not the humidity. Yeah. So yeah. that's it. But you know, it is what it is. Yeah, definitely. I can I can relate, man. Uh, I I grew up. I, we we talked about it on your show. I grew up in Erie, uh, Pennsylvania, where it was like we got lake effect snow, right? So it's always snow. And then I move away, join the army, go to Alaska, and then. It's different kind of cold, man. It's like soul sucking cold. Mm. Whereas that, that's like, uh, it's pretty beautiful. That is soul sucking cold because you're, you're so much higher up in elevation, but you're also right. higher up away from the equator. So it's just madness. Yeah, it sucks. I don't really do well with cold. And then I moved to New York. So I don't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my, my girl must know I really love her because that's why I, that's why I moved out here. Yeah. You guys had snowmageddon this past year, didn't you? Yeah, but see, that's the thing. Like, we had pretty good, pretty, pretty decent snow, but it. Everyone that lives here says it was a mild winter. So I'm like, well, if this is mild, what the hell? What's normal? <laughs> what does normal look like? I'm I'm afraid of that. So we're gonna find out. Yeah. Uh, well, let's hope that uh that Mother Nature doesn't decide to snow all over you guys this winter. Mm, I know. You guys have another mild winter. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Anyways, so we're not here for the weather. We're not here for the snow or any of that. We're here to hear Jared's story. So, Jared, um, what was it like for you in your active addiction, brother? Oh, man. So it's, I was a full-functioning addict. Um, of course, you know, I started using at 16 years old. Um, and so for me, it was like I didn't get married till I was 19. I had my first kid at 19. Um, but I was a, I used on and off from, from 2005 till 2018 and I'd go like three years and then I, then I'd do a year sober and and I would just go on and off. But when I was using, it was pretty, honestly, I had it. Well, I thought I I had it under control. (laughs) Um, you know, we all say that, but I was a functioning addict. I went to work. I had a career. I had a family. I, nobody knew I was using, um, my mom knew that I was dabbling a little bit because I love my mom now, but you know, she's the one that, you know, used to give me pills and different things like that. Um, so, but other than that, I just, nobody knew, nobody knew. And it wasn't until probably the last two years of my addiction, about 2017, 2018, that's when, man, that's when everything changed. So for me, I was doing those things that I said, I'd never do, you know, I, I never steal. I never rob someone. I never break in. I never do any of this, and and I'm do, and I'm doing it, you know. And yeah. I was just having this conversation with my therapist the other day. Um, he asked me, you know, did you get into injecting? And I said, no. I said, but I, I promise you this: if I didn't stop within a month, I would have been, I would have moved on to that. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, I'm grateful that it didn't go as far as it did, as far as 
the usage, but man, I tell you, I love it. It can be a vague answer, but man, it's what we get deep as deep as you want into it. So, yeah, you know, with, with that explanation of what you're talking about with your therapist, man, like, um, I refer to it as the not yet. Right. And I heard somebody say that and I was like, that sounds great because I lived in that realm, that realm of I haven't yet. Right. Like even, even if I told myself, like, I'm never going to do it, I haven't done it yet. Um, right. You know, whether, you know, I broke lies to myself. I, I shared that I broke lies to my, or broke promises to myself when I was younger. And then like, I got to that point where I was like, oh, I'm not going to do Coke, but I haven't done it yet. Right. I'm not going to do acid, but I yeah. haven't done it yet. Right. And, and that's, that's kind of like, to me, what, what, what that sounded like. So question, um, when, when you started to use, was was that a form of escape or was it like, I just want to test it out and see what it's like, what it'd be like? Uh, it's actually neither. So um, I actually, so, you know, I, I, as a teen, I dabbled with, you know, weed, you know, I started smoking at 11 years old, you know, and that's just, that, that was just no big thing for me. Um, you know, I dabbled with alcohol here and there, but I, I was 16 years old. I got into a, uh, a motorcycle accident. Um, I broke multiple multiple bones i was in icu for eight days i went through a year and a half of physical therapy three months in a wheelchair multiple surgeries you name it so naturally i was just fed those painkillers left and right um so that's what started it you know and i did everything as prescribed but it's it's once you stop and then you i realized wow like i like this a little too much you know and again i didn't go straight to just snorting oxys and stuff you know like my mom she has she has bulging discs in her back and stuff like that. So it, that's kind of how it started. It was like, hey, mom, can you give me a couple pills? You know, mm -hmm. I'm in pain from my from my accident, you know, and I kind of used that as an excuse to be able to start getting pills from other people. Yeah, I can I can understand that, man, you know, and, and I have this like the wild crazy thought that um, one of the forms uh, or one of the ways that people get addicted is through medication, right? Uh, because they're prescribed, it's easily ac accessible. You know, nobody's really monitoring uh, those two to an extent, right? But then you go into doctors and say, I'm in pain and what do they want to do? Prescribe you the highest mm -hmm. fucking medication that they can in order to get you okay. And they're treating the, the symptoms, not the problem. Is that something that you, you kind of noticed as well? Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, like, of course, you know, when I go in and, and I had all these surgeries, like the first thing you want to do is get me on the highest dose of, you know, oxy that I could get on, you know, or, and so for me, that's just kind of, and I was doing physical therapy. So naturally I was, you know, back then in 2005, it, it wasn't like it is now, you know, or it wasn't like it was even five years ago, you know, yeah. um, nowadays, dude, you'd be lucky. You could be dying. A doctor be like, take Tylenol, you know? But back then when the doctors were getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical companies, dude, they were, they were feeding that shit out like candy. So all you had to do was walk in and be like, doc, my, my elbow's still, you know, I had surgery on my elbow. My elbow's still messed up. Oh, here you go. Here's 60 oxys, you know? And like, and then I could literally call them and within a month, less than a month and be like, Hey, I, I ran out. I'm still hurting. And they just send over a whole nother deal. And for me, it was like, they didn't even think twice, not even question twice. They were just like, Oh, this is what you need. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard quite a few stories like yours where, where people get addicted, um, 
because of the medication that they're prescribed. What was what what did that that do to you when um, when when you were taking those you know um, after your accident after you had been through rehab and all that stuff uh, physical rehab uh, what what did that do for you psychologically mentally and emotionally? I mean, well, for one, it just it made me realize that. I can't never, I can't deal with life, obviously sober, you know? So that's when it became an escape because I was dealing with, you know, all I was dealing with all of that, obviously, you know, I was a teenager, man. I, I, I had my accident the first day of summer break. I spent the whole summer in a wheelchair having to have my mom, my grandma, my aunt wipe my ass and, and feed me and all this, you know, how embarrassing that is at 16 years old. Yeah. So after I did, you know, fast forward about 18 years old, because that's about how long it took for me to actually get up to par. Um, I could put it down. It wasn't like I was addicted to it. I, I liked it. I'm not going to lie, but it wasn't like I was full blown addicted. Like it was like, cool. You know what? I can get me a script. All right. I could take it and have no problem. But it was just, I finally started to realize, you know, that I didn't want to live life sober. You know, like I, if I was happy, I'd take a pill. If I was sad, I'd take a pill. If I was mad, I'd take a pill. Um, and man, it tells you it messed me up mentally, messed me up physically. You know, I mean, my nasal passages are messed up. My stomach is all tore up. You know, um, I have memory issues from the fentanyl, like all this stuff, man. And it, I tell you, it did it fucked me up. Yeah, I bet. So moving on, when you start getting to that realm of addiction, where you start stepping into that. Uh, and you're and you're doing it. You're you're. Uh, I I did this too. You you're finding reasons to to get fucked up, right? Mm -hmm. um, how did you start living your life after that? Like you said, you were functional when you were going to work, and that nobody really noticed. But were you able to tell that there was something different about yourself? Oh, absolutely. Um, I I knew when I was withdrawing. Like that's when I got to that point. Like so. I mean, the the first half of my addiction, I just. I ate, you know, I just ate the pills like normal. I didn't, I didn't snort. I didn't smoke and do any of that. I just took it like normal. And so for me, I was still like, I'd have to wake up at 2 a.m., take a pill, be able to go back to sleep. And then I'd wake up at 6 a.m., take a pill. And, and, and that was just me. Like I knew that I had to have this in order to function. So I knew obviously at one point it was an issue when I started getting real sick one day and I was like, why the fuck am I so sick for? They realized I was withdrawing. But I didn't realize that, you know, I just thought, man, I could just sit here and take these pills, you know. And then I was at work one day before it really hit me. And I was like, why do I feel like shit? My skin's crawling. My nose is running. I was like, you know what? And I was I was out of pills that time. Mm. So I went and I just, for the shit, for, for the hell of it, I just re-upped. I took it instantly all went away. And I was like, that's what that is. And then I was so afraid to feel that withdrawal that I never wanted to let myself get to that point again. So that opened up the whole new world for me is I have to stay on top of this. I have to stay re I got to re up. I have to take as much as I can because I don't want to feel sick. Yeah. At any given point did what you were taking, like, like were you starting to get immune to that level and then you had yeah. to just like step it up a little bit more. Absolutely. Like, dude, I used to be able to take a five milligram Percocet and that, dude, that used to give me a nice little buzz. Nowadays, even even now, probably five years sober, man, I, I probably have to take 20 of those bad boys just to even get a, a little even buzz. But I did realize that, though. I used to be able to take the smallest amount. And then it went to that point where I'm like, five's not working, 10's not working, 
20s not working, 15, 30s. And I got to that point where I'm like, well, shit, you know, and that's, that's when I was like, let me, okay, you know, let me try Dilaudid. Let me try morphine. Let me try a couple of these other things. You know, I didn't really get into the fentanyl. Eh, fent that was later on in my addiction, but it was like, it, I, it was me just trying to constantly elevate my high because I was just getting immune to it. And I wasn't, I wasn't withdrawing. I just wasn't feeling shit. So I just wanted to just take more just so I could feel it. Yeah, you had something to stabilize you, not not to yeah. keep you keep you going. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now you said that nobody ever noticed. Was was there ever a point in time in that in that time frame where people came up to you and were like, "Hey, man, uh, something's off." Um, one time, my boss, my boss, I was I was acting, you know, pretty antsy. I was on the job site with them, you know. Um, course you know that was just that was me on the drugs you know um he was like you good dude i'm like yeah i'm good i'm fine and i had a company vehicle so he was like yeah yeah i was like i'm good man i'm fine he goes okay that the end of the day he goes hey man um so and so needs to use your work truck uh tomorrow and i was like i didn't think nothing about it you know i was like okay cool i gave him the keys i found out that they took they were he was suspected me of something and that's why he he took the word. He didn't want me driving that way. Little did he know I'd been a hundred times more fucked up than I was yeah. then, you know, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, that, but that was about the only time, man. Like nobody, I mean, my, my wife at the time was completely oblivious to it. She knew nothing about, like she had no, she could probably look at the pills and think they're Tylenol, you know, like yeah. she, so, and you know, and no other than my mother, I tell you, my mother is the only, only, only one that even remotely thought that I could have an issue, but that's because my mother was also an addict, you know? Yeah. 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 So, um, fast forward, we'll get to the 2017 or yeah, 2017, 2018 timeframe. And you said that was the worst of it. What did that look like for you? So I, right, so I kind of break it down. So I had just, I had been sober about a year. Mind you, I tell you, I could go on and off. So about a year I, I quit in 2016. Um, and then in 2017, um, I, well, what I did was when I, uh, I moved out, of, I had moved out of town for a little bit. So I just stopped, I just stopped using, yeah. um, I withdrew naturally detoxed all that good stuff. I got off of it. And of course I'm like, Oh, I'm never going through this again. Well, I moved back home to Phoenix. Um, and I started working at my old job again, which is, that's where a lot of it started at, but I just came off about, a, about an eight month to a year sobriety, you know, or, or not even sobriety cleanse. And, um, my, uh, I, I hired a new helper, which happened to be my brother-in-law mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm just kind of leading up to really quick, uh, cause that's going to lay it all out for you. Um, he was like, you know, he, we were having lunch one day and he's like, Hey man, you know, he's like, you know, you want to, you want to irk. And first I was like, what the fuck's an irk? And then I was like, Oh, you know, I was like an irk. He was like, do you want a perk? And I was like, you know, I, I, I was at first I was like, no, nah. I was like, no, nah, I'm good, man. I appreciate it. And he goes, all right, well, if you ever want one, let me know. I had to drop him off at his, um, at his friend's house that one, one day. So I dropped him off at his friend's house. He said, Hey, come in really quick. I was like, I didn't think nothing about it. I walked in. Um, he was like, Hey man, I need, I need to get a blue. And now this is the, the blue M thirties that were being cut with fentanyl that I didn't know they were being cut with fentanyl, but they were being cut with fentanyl at the time. Yeah. So he was like, you know, he's like, I want one for myself. They looked at me. They're like, you want one? I'm like, nah, girl. I, I was like, I'm good. I, I don't want to, 
I'll fuck with like 15s and, and regular oxys, but I really was not into the whole fentanyl because I knew how it was. But about a week later, I, I finally just gave in and I was like, I asked my brother and I was like, hey man, you think you can get me some? He's like, absolutely. So that that's kind of what started. So I literally went from like going through my brother-in-law, getting a couple pills at a time to... I, I, you know, that that his plug literally handed me a phone one day and said, all right, you call me directly now. You don't go through so-and-so now. And I was like, okay, cool. And that's right there is when it went downhill because I had a unlimited front. I could get as many blues as I wanted, as many times as I wanted. And I just pay it back at the end of the day or the next day because I was good for it. I was making really good money at work. Um, and first first month i'm just eating it like normal and then one day because I, I deal with residual pain for my accident you know i got i got yeah. pins and, and plates and rods and all that so one day i was really feeling it one day and he was like dude why don't you snort it and i was like i just i never wanted to get into that you know but i was yeah. like fuck it crushed it up snorted it never went back so it went from so that at the peak of it was i was using 15 to 20 30s a day um, now naturally these, the, these are all pretty much straight fentanyl, you know, like there's almost no oxy in these things, you know? Yeah. And of course you don't know how much is in this shit. You know, I, I was, I literally was, was playing with fire. Every time I snorted a pill, it was a 50, 50 shot that I was either going to go to sleep and never wake up or I was going to wake up. And, and I mean, this, this right here, I had never been the one to nod off and never been the one, but man, I tell you this right here. This right here knocks me on my ass. And I was doing two, three times the amount that 300 pound guys were doing. They were doing little quarters of a pill and I'm doing a whole pill, two pills at a time. Just because for me, I'm like, Hey, go big or go home. You know, like that was me. My, and my, my tolerance was so high. So the peak of it was pawning tools. Uh, you know, if I had to, um, was, you know, trading guns with my, Hey man, I give me six pills and I'll give you my pistol, you know? Um, yeah. and, and, and before it got to that point, I was making, I was selling for them. I was going down to Mexico. I was picking up for them. I was making a lot of money. I, I bought quads, motorcycles, cars, you name it. And, and I'm not bragging about it, but I'm just saying I bought all this stupid shit with it. And then I ended up getting in debt with my same dealer. And I ended up having to sell everything, sign titles over to, to them just to, just to be caught up um, because I just got sloppy, man. I, I went from being on top, being getting fronts, you know, doing whatever to getting behind, not making my payments on, to, to my guys, um, literally uh, taking parts of, you know, a of, of, of product that I was that I was bringing. Um, you know, I had my house ransacked with with my. Uh, they're looking for drugs and money, you know, all from the same people that I used to roll with, you know, that I was still cool with. Even to that day, I was still cool. I was getting behind, but I was paying off my shit. But, you know, they they broke into my house, ransacked it, all kinds of shit, man, you know. And and it was, and finally, that's when shit started getting real. I'm like, man, like, you know, these people, I'm going to get in real deep one day and I'm not going to make it out, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it started affecting your, your social life, you know, and, uh, did it affect any your, your close relationships with like family members and friends? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and mainly because I would call up some of my closest friends or family, ask them for 20 bucks or something. And then, or a hundred dollars or $200. 
and then I never pay them. And and again, they still didn't know that I was using until finally everything came out at the breaking point. But um, that's kind of what it did was like at that point, I didn't care who I burned, where I burned them, anything. It was just like I'd go inside your wallet and take a hundred dollars out, you know. Like and, and and bro, that was me saying I would never do that in my entire life. I never become a junkie and steal and do all that shit, you know. And yeah. you know, I'm not, and this is something that I'm not proud of, but I say it because I want you to know the realness of it is that dude, there's one time we had a hundred dollars left to our name. My my, you know, my ex-wife and I and our and three kids. We had a hundred dollars left to our name. I went in the wallet and I stole the hundred dollars out and I went and met up with my plug and bought it. And she was supposed to go use it to get shit, you know, food and all that. I didn't care, bro. I went and did that, you know? And, and, and I look at that now and I'm like, fucking hey, you know, I mean, my kids too, man. My daughter was at the time, my daughter was like three, three or four. And, and I'd go, I'd take her to the bathroom with me if we were like out in public and I'd make her turn around and, and turn around and look at the other way while I'm storing up a pill. I think about that now and it fucking breaks me. I break, I crap break down in tears thinking about that because my daughter's like, you know, daddy, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's just medicine. She goes, oh, medicine for your nose. Like she's three years old at the time, bro. Like who the fuck does that? Yeah. I think some of the hardest hitting things are things that our kids say to us or people that are, that, you know, don't understand the gravity of the situation. I remember when I was heavy in my drinking, this about 2015, one of my ex-wife's kids came to me and I was hungover and she looked at me and she said, Hey, Sean, you gonna, uh, you gonna get drunk again tonight? Like mm. you're, you're, you're six years old, man. Like, how are you yeah. supposed to understand and have the capacity to know what that, what that is. Right. But I'm yeah. doing it and I'm, I'm displaying that yeah. shit in front of them. That fucked me up too. Yeah. They're, they're innocent children. Like, and I think I look back now how I had my innocence stripped from me at, at, at eight years old from being sexually abused and introduced to pornography and, and all this shit by people that, that we trust the most. And then I look at that and I'm like, I'm essentially doing the same shit just on a different scale. Yeah. And dude, it, it makes it, it's just, I cannot, I look at that now and I'm like, how, how was I that low of a person that I'd make my daughter turn around while I'm fucking snoring up pills? You know, like it gets me, bro. It fucking gets me. And I hate myself for it, you know, but yeah. I didn't care at the time, you know? Yeah. I understand. So what was that moment that you look at in your active addiction and you can pinpoint where it says, where, where you, you said to yourself, I need help. I need to change. Something is wrong. Uh, yeah. I just remember this exactly to the day and everything. Uh, it was actually a situation that, that I got involved in that pretty much made me open up my eyes at that moment. So these people that I was, that I was running with, you know, they were, they were with the, with the cartel, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm half Hispanic. I speak Spanish, you know, so mm. I could go down to Mexico and get shit. And nobody, you know, would even question because I, I look white, you know. Yeah. So I was able, you know, so that's how I ended up getting in with them. But um, I used to travel for work all the time. So I used to have a, I'm a gold member with Hotels.com. I used to get all kinds of discounts and stuff. So I remember my main plug, he called me up one day and he said, hey, um, he goes, I want to take the family to, uh, to, to the Wigwam Resort, which was just a resort outside of town. He goes, can you book a room? I'll pay for it, but can you book a room under your name? to get a discount. I said, for sure. I got you. So he booked it. I, the next day I needed to re up. I called him up. He didn't answer. I called him again. He didn't answer. I said, fuck it. I'm going to drive over there. 
I drove over there, saw his car in the parking lot, went to the room, knocked on the door, and his wife answered, and she tells me in Spanish, she goes, Jared, um, if you don't get in there, they're going to kill him. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're going to kill who? I walk in there, and there's a mutual friend of ours who was essentially on the same level as me that I worked with multiple times. He was hogtied to the bat to, to the bathroom uh, towel rack, four guns pointed at his head, uh, pistol whipped, bleeding all over the place. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And um, and 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 Jack is he's the main guy. He ends up telling me he goes, um, well, this guy uh, Daniel over here decided to get barred out, um, and he was he was taking Zanny bars as well as 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 the the fentanyl, the blues. He blacked out and he tried to uh, reach inside their pockets while they were sleeping and steal product. Mm-hmm. Anybody knows that's a big no no. Big no-no. So I look over at Daniel and I tell him, I'm like, you do realize that you fucked up, right? And he goes, I, I, yeah, I do. He goes, you know what? You might as well just kill me because they're going to kill me anyways. And so I said, said, Jack, what are we doing, bro? He looks at me. He goes, you got two options, Jared. He goes, hey, I shoot him right here on the floor. He goes, and now it's your problem because it's your hotel room. Or B, we're going to take him in your truck. We're going to drive him to the desert and we're going to let him go. Well, you, you know, we're, we're going to do yeah. our thing. Yeah. Naturally, I don't. I, I don't want some guy dead on the floor in a hotel room that I'm, you know. So yeah. I said, dude, I looked at him. I said, Daniel, I, I don't got a choice, bro. That's what they did. They loaded him up in my truck. We, I drove him. Well, we drove him out to the desert. The guy got, and he, the guy sat in the front seat, Jack in the back, with a gun to the to the Daniel's head. We go to, we pull up. I stay in the vehicle. I never get out. Um, Jack and another guy get out with with Daniel. They take him out. Can't really say much more on it. Yeah. Come back and leave. I, dude, I was shitting myself. I am not going to lie. I was like, that was the exact moment that I was like, what, what the fuck am I doing? Not one. I was like, if they could do that to him, they could do it to me naturally. Now I'm not saying he deserved it, but, but he fucked up. Yeah. That that was something he did. And that, that was consequence paid. And, 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 but it was like, if they could do that to him, they just surely do it to me. I mean, they literally looked at me and said, you got two choices. He's either going to die here or he's going to die there. Which one do you want? Yeah. I can't, you know, like I had no choice. I didn't want to be a part of anything. But because I walked in on that exact moment yeah. that it, it, I was involved. So I went home. I dropped, I dropped Jack and then back off. I went home and I was like, I'm done. I was like, I am, I am fucking done. And so for me, it was just like I realized I was in so deep that i needed to get out as soon as possible um it took me about took me about a month to finally to actually get out of it excuse me so my um my ex-wife found out just briefly after that incident um she found out that i was using and she gave me you know she basically told me the same thing she goes you know what we you either stop or or me and the kids are leaving and so I tried to get sober about three times in a within like a two week period. And I failed every single time because I wouldn't make it past like 24 or 48 hours because I, if I didn't call one person, I'd call another or they were calling me. And so <clears throat> it was just for me, it was like, man, I couldn't get sober in the same place. Cause I knew somebody on every corner. Yeah. So after about a month, <clears throat> we sold everything that we, um, that we owned packed everything all of our clothes into into some bags threw it in the trunk and 
drove 1100 miles to, te to, to Texas, not having a job, not having a place to live, not having nothing. But I realized if I wanted to get sober, I just, I had to completely leave. That's what I did. Um, and that's kind of how my journey started, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild, man. You know, um, you, you, you get to these points where you just look at your life and you're like, how in the fuck did I get here? Yep. Right. And, and I, I think, you know, that's the turning point and the aha moment that we all have is like, fuck man, how did he get this bad? We don't wait. Yeah. It's like, you don't wake up and say, I want to become a drug addict or I don't want to become an alcoholic, you know, like it's just shit happens, you know, or, you know, and, but I don't also don't wake up one day and say, I want to go fucking have some guy shot in the desert either, you know, yeah. but you realize you, you, you play with fire. You're going to get burned, man. You live that life. People don't. And, and I, and I tell that story for a reason. I, I, I really tell that story because I really want people to understand the real, the realness of it, man. It's not like you're just, sometimes it's not like you're going out there and you're just dealing with little punks on the street, selling dime bags and stuff. Like some of these people, they will kill you with no, with, with no hesitation and you could be their best friend in the world. Yeah. And, and, and I tell people that because it's just like you have, if, if you're going to get in this game, you better realize what the heck you're doing because it, it's going to get real, really quick. Absolutely. So, um, you moved to Texas, right? And you, you start getting clean and start getting sober. What did that early, what did that early recovery look like for you? Um, so I, I deleted my Facebook, you know, I, I completely deleted social media. Um, I shut my phone off. Um, actually only two people out of my whole entire family knew where I moved to. Nobody else knew. And, um, so I, 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 we moved, um, I got a flip phone and the only person that had the phone number was my ex-wife just because, you know, and, and I started working, um, and I had no social media. I had no nothing. It was just literally me being a hermit crab. I literally, unless I went to work, I did nothing like I just stayed in my shell um, and, and I never went to treatment. I never went to a detox. I never went to rehab. I never went to any of that. I did it all by myself. Disclaimer, just because I did it doesn't mean it would work for you, but it worked for me personally. That That's just what I did. Um, and I went to meetings and and that's just really like I wanted it. I I so wanted it at that time. I was just like, I'm 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 ready. Because I dealt, bro, for 15 years almost on and off with addiction. And I was just done. Like I want I, I got to that point where it was just something's got to give, you know? And so yeah, man, like I literally I don't think I made a Facebook account until about a, a year after I got sober is when I actually made a Facebook account is when I actually let my own family have my phone number. I didn't visit my go back to visit Phoenix until I was two years sober because I just knew that I didn't have the discipline inside of me. Like I just knew it. And I knew if I would have went any sooner, I probably would have failed. So I had to wait until I was certain that I was going to be okay. And I had time under my belt, you know, and I have the support and I'm not going to lie. It was nerve wracking as hell. That first going back that very first time. I mean, it was like PTSD traumatic for me, but man, I tell you those two years, man, I busted my ass to, in my recovery. Yeah. And it was about a year after my recovery that I into my recovery that I that's when I realized I want I want to do what I'm doing now, you know, and yeah. we'll get into that a little bit later. But like that's what I realized. Like I was like, man, I want to take all of my pain, all of my hurt, 
all my hurt habits, habits and hangups and all that. And I want to use it to help others. And, and, and that's just, that has always been my motivation since getting sober. Yeah. And that's been my motivation to stay sober. I, I can relate to, you know, going back home, you know, one of my biggest triggers when I was in uh, active addiction and in recovery was my dad. Uh, I've shared my story with you and, and anybody who's listening. Um, and I, I didn't come home uh, to see my dad until I was about a year and a half sober. And it was, I, I'll just say that I put more thought into coming home and the potential triggers that could face me mm-hmm. than that actually happened. I literally was shaking when I got off the plane in DC because mm-hmm. I was so fucking scared. But it was completely different than than what happened when I got home. So I mean, that that's a different story for another time. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, what was the biggest lesson that you learned early in recovery? The bit. Oh man, the biggest lesson that I learned is um. This this might sound uh, too. This might sound cliche, but it was real for me. Was that um? <laughs> it's one day at a time, bro. One, one fucking day at a time. You could be here today and gone tomorrow, you know? And it was just like, it literally, um, I, I've, I've said this, you know, when you were on the show, you know, like I treat, I have to treat every single day as day one. Um, and, and that was the, it's cliche, but it's true. Like I I had to learn, I had to stay sober for that hour. I had to stay sober for that two hours, three hours. I had to stay sober for that day. I couldn't think about tomorrow or the next day or the next day because I start thinking about that. And then, and then my mind starts getting all jumbled. So I had to just focus on one moment at a time, one minute at a time, one hour at a time. Um, and that was the biggest thing that I learned, bro, was just like, you have to take this, your, your recovery has to come before everything for your job, before your family, before kids, family, spouse, you name it, you know, it's got to come before everything. And that's one thing that people that are outside of recovery don't understand Yeah, is, is that recovery comes first and they, you know, and that's for me, I want to, I had to explain that. And, and there's a lot of people that don't understand that. Right. Like I, I had a situation, uh, last year that I was facing where I had a commitment, right? Commitment's always been my hardest thing always been i don't know if that's for you but like keeping your commitments oh, uh, right? yeah you, i feel you. you you know you make a commitment you keep it uh and then so i had a commitment to a sober you know a sober event and then there was a birthday over here and i said well, i already made this commitment and there's this birthday i mean it's a birthday but i mean kids five years old yeah it's a roll of the dice right yeah and no matter what i did if I went to this birthday, I would have broken a commitment. If I didn't go to this birthday, the whole family would be mad at me. Right. right? So damn, if you do damn, if you don't, and that's the hardest thing that I had to, I had to, to, to work through is, is keeping my commitments. And, and so, you know, I, I want to say doing a hell of a job, brother, <laughs> doing a hell of a job. You know, let me tell you this, bro. I, I actually, I had never really de- dealt with an issue with commitments until I got sober. Yeah. Like I I'll be I'll tell you this, bro. I used to be one of the most hardworking, dedicated people while I was an addict. Yeah. And then I got and then I got sober and that like the in the first part of my sobriety, 
dude, I didn't want to do shit. Like I, 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 I was, I, I just wanted to be lazy. And I don't know if that was just my body adjusting or what it was, but like, I felt that like all my motivation just, just went down. Now it's now granted it's back now, but it was like, man, I tell you that first year, it was just like, why am I feeling like such a lazy fuck? You know, like, I don't want to do anything. Like I just, you know, I don't want to keep any commitments. I don't want to do none of this, you know? Um, So I don't don't know if that's how you felt, but. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I have, I have these fluctuating moments where I'm like, yeah, I want to fucking, you know, conquer the world. I can do anything in the next minute. I'm like, you know what, fuck. Do I really want to do that? I'm like that with the podcast, bro. It's like, dude, I, I get in this grind moment where I'm like, grind, 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 grind. And then I get in this moment for like, we're a month. I don't want to do shit. I literally don't want to do it. Sometimes it's good though. You got to take your time to, to, you know, de- decompress and, and do that. So I, I periodically take breaks. My, my people that go, that watch us, they know, you know, I'll, I'll go for three months straight and then I might take a month off, you know, it just, that's yeah. just how it is. Yeah. So let's get into the podcast. Uh, yeah. What is the name of your podcast and when so did you start called- it? Yeah, so it's called the Blacklist Podcast. Um, so essentially, it was launched in 2022, officially, but it was in it was about a year into my recovery when I decided, like I explained earlier, um, I've always been a fan of podcasts. Um, I listen to them all the time. I'm just a huge fan of it. Um, and so for me, at that time, I was like, man, there's there's not a podcast like about sobriety. And at that time, there wasn't there wasn't at all now there's one on every corner but back then there wasn't and i was like i think it'd be really really cool like if there was a podcast out there that dealt with mental health and sobriety and all that recovery and 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 i was like you know what i'm gonna start one i i i I, man i went through a dozen different names before i settled on one um i just kind of i made a facebook page and then i kind of just left it at that and didn't really touch anything but i knew i wanted to do it um and i sat on that shit for two years two years, man. And I kept making excuses. Oh, you know, maybe next year, maybe next year. So the end of 2021, it was about November. I was like, you know what? It's now or never. Like I'm either going to do this or I'm not going to do it at all. I'm just going to keep making an excuse. I still didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Didn't know how I was going to do it. I knew what I wanted, but I just didn't know what was going to happen and what, and the steps and all that. And finally, you know what? January of 2022, I said, fuck it, man. I I, I picked the name. I, I really just sat on it. I thought about it. I, I did it. And I just pushed it out. Don't know what the hell I was doing, but I did it. And uh, so, yeah. So 2022, January is when it officially launched. Um, and the Blacklist Podcast. And the reason I call it the Blacklist Podcast is because, yeah, we mainly talk about addiction and mental health, but we that's not all we talk about. So when you think about things that are blacklisted, that's things that are swept under the rug, things that society doesn't want us to talk about, whether that's mental health, addiction, religion, uh, sexual abuse, um, all these things that, that, that we're too afraid. We don't want to get canceled, you know, and we can't talk about it. Um, so that's, that's why I named it the blacklist podcast, because I wanted a podcast where not only myself, but our guests can be a hundred percent transparent, authentic, I didn't want to censor anybody. I wanted everyone to, to literally come in their true form. That's why I, dude, you want to say fuck, say fuck. You want to talk mm-hmm. about God, talk about God. It, I don't care because at the end of the day, your story is your story. And I don't want to censor you and your story, especially if it means that you can help somebody out there by the way that you're telling it, censored or not. So 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that's the most powerful asset that we have is our story, right? And, and I, I'm, I'm sure I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly because you can run to a book, you can read a book, it's full of education, but it's open for interpretation, right? But your story is yours alone. There is no beating around the bush as to what it is. You tell it how you tell it, and people are going to come and look at that and be like, oh, well, he was, no, 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 this is where I was. There's right. no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not narrating a fucking story that can be taken 10,000 different ways. I'm telling my story, and this is how it is. And I yeah. I, I, I truly believe in, in the raw and authentic and, and the vulnerability of it, right? Because that's where the passion lies. That's where our recovery lies, right? And every single time we tell our story, we learn something more about ourselves, right? And we, we, and I'm not saying that it changes because nothing in our story changes, but there's details that you just won't remember that are added in. Yeah. The change, right? Yeah. It, it, when I'm on a different podcast as a guest, um, my story, I don't always tell it the same way, but, but like you said, it doesn't change. It's just certain bits and pieces here and there. I might talk about something here that I haven't talked about prior and vice versa, you know, and it's just the way, that's just the way it flows, you know? But my story is my story and I'm going to tell it as real and as raw as it is. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I've had people tell me that story. I told you about the guy going to the desert. I have, I've been told I can't say that. So it's just, just being honest, bro. Like there's yeah. just certain things, but I respect it because it's their platform. But when you come to my, my platform or your platform and all that, dude, have, have at it, you know, yeah. that's why there's disclaimers to people viewing like, Hey, they could have triggering, but, triggering material you know like but we're we're doing it to be real and raw and authentic with it yeah yeah all the everybody that listens to my show they know like you're gonna hear some shit that's unsettling and that may not be cush may not be uh may not be pretty and, and that's because the life we live is not a fucking pretty one Right. Like you talked about fentanyl and about the fentanyl, you know, that that you did and you've seen people pass because of it in the ratios. Right. The 50 50 yeah. like you waking up, not waking up. Right. You know, but like fentanyl's was bad then and it's bad now. Like yeah. I, I can't I, I lived in Alaska, man. When I moved away from Alaska, I can't tell you how many countless people that I've heard about and read about that are just falling. They're falling like birds out of the sky, man, because of fentanyl It's fucking crazy. Yep. And, and man, I'm telling you, bro, I've lost a lot of people to it. Uh, just even in the almost five years, bro, I've lost a lot of people. Some people that were close to me, some that I used to run with that just is what it is. But man, I, that shit's killing people left and right. Um, and I think the most fucked up thing about it, honestly, bro, is I knew what I was getting. Some of these people that are overdosing, they don't even, they don't know what they're getting. Yeah. I knew what I get. I knew what I wanted. I knew this shit, it was either going to kill me or it wasn't going to kill me, you know? And, and, and that's the way I look at it, you know? Yeah. My bro, uh, you know, my brother's in recovery. He's been, he's been sober, I think eight years and, or he's been clean for eight years. And, uh, him and I were talking, uh, oddly enough, just at a carnival because that was our opportunity to get away and actually like talk one-on-one. -on -one. And I had mentioned somebody that him and I grew up with, and I was like, yeah, you hear that person die? He's like, yeah, that's like the hundredth person that I know that has passed away from fentanyl. I'm like, fuck, dude, yeah. that's insane. And, and, you know, it's just, it's sad. It's, yeah. you know, and that's, I, I don't have enough exposure or understanding of fentanyl, so I'm not going to talk on it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's fucking terrible, dude. It's, yeah. 
it's it's just, you, you just need a grain of salt to kill you yeah pretty much i mean a cup a small cup of water it will drown you Yep. 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 But anyways, anyways, uh, before we get going, two things, Jared, what is a piece of advice or suggestion you would give to somebody that is suffering from uh, addiction or they're in early recovery and they're just kind of like, is this fucking worth it? Um, hold on, because it is worth it. I guarantee you, you may not think about, you may not see it in that exact moment, but I, I, I fucking guarantee you it's worth it. You'll come out on the other end. Um, and just what I said earlier, um, advice is don't get complacent in your recovery. Treat every day as day one. I don't care if you're 20 years sober, if you're 20 hours sober, always go back to that day one constantly and remind yourself because you get complacent, you get lazy, you get lazy, you stop working on yourself and it just, it's a cycle. So hold on, just hold on and just treat day a day. Every day is day one and reach out, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, ha have that accountability. I don't care if it's 2 AM call somebody that you trust, you know, you can't call everybody, but call somebody that you trust. Um, my, my inbox is always open. I'm, I'm sure, uh, uh Sean will, you know, hit the links and all that stuff. Uh, but listen, I, I, I'll answer a phone call at 2 a.m., you know, um, but just just hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on and pick that phone up. Absolutely. And where can we find you and the Blacklist podcast? So uh, all social media platforms. So um, it's it's uh, Blacklist is spelled B-L-A-K-L-I-S-T. So it's the Blacklist podcast. Um TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at um, the Blacklist Podcast. Uh, my podcast is also on um, Apple Podcast, uh, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Uh, you know, you name it, it's on there. Um, and I'm sure we could, we'll drop the links if uh, if possible. Absolutely, yeah, we will. I like to I like to uh, help endorse my friends, but anyways. Definitely. Jared, I want to thank you for hanging out with me and sharing your story. It's been an honor. It's been a yes. pleasure. And uh, you're a great dude. I hope you know that. I appreciate it, man. And, and same goes for you as well. You know, I, I appreciate you. I mean, man, I, I found you on, on on the internet, just on Facebook. And I randomly messaged you one like 10 o'clock <laughs> one night. And I was like, hey, I was like, I got a podcast too, was, you know, and we that's just kind of how we, how we linked up. So, yeah. um, you know, and you came on mine and here I am on yours. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate you having me out and, uh, I, I will, I'm just out here, man, just, just doing the dang thing for just like you are, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And everybody else, I want to, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with us and listening to Jared Sherry's story. It's very inspirational, very awesome. And I'm glad that I got the opportunity to hear it. I've been waiting to hear it, but like I said, we had some scheduling deconflictions, but we're good now. Yeah. Yeah, now we're we are good. We are good, but till next time, y'all. Be good. Have a nice day. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, which is a lot. Peace. Bye.